Hey, hey, folks. Welcome back to the Fullcraft Revival Podcast, uh, where we're talking all things traditional craft, self-sufficiency, learning, making, doing, uh, learning how things are, can, and often in my mind should be made. Um, the whole handcrafted, handmade, artisan type type things. Um, I know it's been a little while since the last episode. Uh, I... I took a job up in central Idaho, up in McCall, and went up there to start the job. Um, It's a beautiful area, uh, an area we really enjoy, and I thought it would be fun to see if we could move up in the air, but it's also uh, fairly expensive, Um, and we couldn't do it on the the income that I have been producing with with my own business. So I took a job up there. Moved up there for the last two months um, and couldn't find a place to live, either rent or buy, that was within a decent, well, that was within our price range. See, I've been camping out for the last two months trying to wrangle up a place to live, and we finally decided that um, apparently it is not meant to be, and uh, it was time to call it quits and regroup and figure out our next step. So, um, yeah, sorry. haven't had an episode in a while. I probably should have created one to explain what was going on and just let let you all know why I was stepping away from the podcast for a little bit, but essentially it was because I didn't have internet and computer access for the last couple of months. So sorry about that, but, um, we're going to jump right back into it now. And I, I'm looking forward to it. I really actually missed this. I, I really enjoy chatting with people and learning from them. So today's episode isn't uh, necessarily on a traditional craft. Actually, that was something I meant to ask Tom, but never got around to him. Uh, when these things were uh, conceptually thought up, but we're talking about rocket stoves. And I still consider it to be something that is... Um, worth the attention of a podcast that focuses more on traditional handcrafts and whatever. Um, it's, you know, still something you're making yourself for a functional purpose. And, and you all know that I kind of have a bent towards self-sufficiency and learning how to take care of yourself and do things for yourself anyways. And, um, and yeah, knowing how to build a stove in your backyard that you can, cook your meals and whatnot um, very efficiently and with uh, very little fuel. That is something that is very valuable. Um, Besides which, it's just fun to know how things operate and how things work. So really enjoyed the conversation uh, this week. Uh, I was chatting with Tom Mills, who runs the, the Green Shorts DIY YouTube channel. Um, I asked Tom to come on the podcast because I wanted to do an episode on rocket stoves and he seems to be one of the people who has made multiple iterations. Um, A lot of times you'll see, you know, just a my build type video or blog or something like that. And they'll, they'll take you along how they did their first and only rocket stove. 
which is cool. And I still enjoy seeing how people are doing them. But I think you really do learn a lot from doing something multiple times and doing it frequently. So yeah, I asked Tom if he'd be willing to come on and talk about rock stoves and some of the the basic principles uh, involved with them, and how he would suggest you know pros and cons of some of the some of the uh, things he's learned about different materials and different methods and things like that over his his time building rock stoves. So uh, I also highly recommend you check out Tom's. Uh, channel or channels. We mentioned a couple of them at the uh, end of the episode. I'll put links to all of them um, over at folkcraftrevival.com forward slash 20. It's episode 20. So um, yeah, I'll put links to all those. You can go check out his channels. Highly recommend them. Um, I know most of us involved in this traditional craft type area anyways are involved or interested in sustainability and um, yeah, I haven't checked out Tom's other channel. He mentioned, uh, his one on, on green education, just short little clips, but, uh, I intend to, and his DIY one is fun things you can build and whatnot to help you be a little more sustainable. So, um, let's see anything else. Service berries and apricots are coming into season right now. Archery season starts in uh, three weeks. Uh, I need to go out and collect a whole bunch of bulrush and cattail for weaving material and probably some dyer's woad for uh, a dye project. I want to do a fermented fermented uh, dye vat again, indigo vat. Um, geez, there's a lot going on. <laughs> when you start getting involved in too many projects, there's always a lot going on. I just collected probably another 20 pounds of clay too for pottery last weekend. And I need to do a few samples. I have some sample discs out drying in the back. Hopefully we'll see what sort of temper they need and if they're going to work or not, but I'm going to have some pots in my future as well. Um, I did my first attempt at bark tanning, rounded up all the random hides, skins, furs, etc., that I had around and realized how many I, I do have, which, or had, my wife was saying that she's not sure whether she should be worried or not that I had so many different furs and hides laying around untanned that needed some attention. So I ran them through a, uh, a bark tan vat. I had a, a bow stav that I, an oak bow stav that I had, uh, not debarked yet. So I peeled the bark off of it and used that to make a, a small batch um, of bark tanning liquor. And honestly, uh, I did a few few different furs and a couple fish skins. Um, I had a weasel hide that I've had in the freezer for five years now, an ermine. Um, that one didn't turn out well. It's been in the freezer too long. Um, the hair slipped and it, it just, it didn't work. The snowshoe hair that I got this last year while out hunting first and only snowshoe hair I've ever gone. Um, I kept the, the fur from it and tanned it, but it was so fragile that I ripped it into a number of pieces while trying to tan it. So it, you know, I came out with little bits of snowshoe hair fur that got tanned, but not great. Um, I had a couple squirrel skins though that did really well, a mink fur that did really well, and the fish skins. I'm 
quite pleased with. I mean, they're kind of a, they didn't take it up evenly. They've also, those ones have been dehydrated. So they, you know, had to rehydrate and it just didn't quite work as effectively. I think it would work better if they were fresh. Um, or maybe I just did something wrong. It's hard to say when you're, it's your first attempt, but yeah, I'm pleasantly pleased with the squirrel and mink furs. Um, it's kind of weird having so many furs when most of them, I mean, the snowshoe hare is the only one that I actually hunted. Everything else was roadkill. Oh, well, not the fish, but uh, <laughs> uh, all the other furs. Anyway, yeah, I'll, I'll post a picture of that over on, on my Instagram account. Um, it was a learning experience, and it was a lot of fun. And to be honest, I've never had great success with furs anyways. So um, I actually think these turned out better than a lot of my brain tan furs have in the past. So uh, that may be my, my just go-to route for furs. I still enjoy you know, buckskin, brain tan, leather, but uh, for furs, I may go with a bark tan. We'll see. I've still got to attempt a, a brain tan fur a few more times. So yeah, with that, enough about me. Seasons are changing. Let's get on to the episode. Let's all uh, go learn how to build a rocket stove. <laughs> Oh, and uh, last thing, thanks to, uh, I noticed that I have a couple uh, ratings and reviews on uh, iTunes. I got on that today. It's been quite a while since I've been on there. In fact, I don't know if I, yeah, it's been a long time since I've been on there. Um, And I really do appreciate you guys who have taken the time to rate the show. Um, It really does help. And uh, I enjoy getting a little bit of feedback that way too, so Thank you to those of you who have taken the time to rate and or review it. With that, let's uh, jump into the episode. Uh, I started out by talking with Tom a little bit about his channels and how they got started, how he got started with them. I started out as a green guy, right? Sustainability, personal sustainability. Like yeah. my, um, I have a company called Green Shorts, the idea being short videos about green about sustainability and um my diy (laughs) bend uh, started with green education so i have a a youtube channel just just green shorts and i have about 200 videos there and they're really short some of them uh, a series called 26 second green so um the idea that i can a single message moment give someone something different that they can do um, one, one practice they could adopt to be a little bit more sustainable in how they live. But I started a you know, DIY channel as well. And um, that one took off. So they both had about 500 subscribers about the same time, but the, the, the education channel I call it has about about 4,500 subscribers now on YouTube and the DIY channel has 85,000. So, um, and I think that's just has to do with niche. Yeah. People are searching for DIY content. My top video is a rocket stove video. Um, even though the purist would say that's not a rocket stove. I think the YouTube understanding, the internet understanding of what a rocket stove is, is pretty broad. And yet there is a very specific design for a rocket stove with a, you know, riser, 
heat tunnel or fire tunnel and, and all of that. So I have made one that way, <laughs> but uh, most of what the ones that I've made have probably been a hybrid of what a rocket stove. Which sort of a modified version. Yeah. That actually answered a question I had. I was going to ask you how you came up with your, your YouTube channel name, but it sounds like then you were already operating under that name. You had a, a YouTube channel and a business going under that name before you started the DIY stuff then. Yes, I think, you know, the education part of it is, is there are practices that you can adopt by making a decision. I'm going to do this. But I also realized that there were a lot of things that I was encouraging people to do that sort of required them to make something or to build something. And I yeah. wanted to then encourage them that, that that indeed was possible for them to do it themselves. Don't, don't go buy a flow-through worm composter system, build one. Um, and I try to keep them fairly simple. A, a, a lot of times... My first go at it is a little more complicated. I tend to over-engineer. <laughs> but my process is kind of intuitive, so I need to see it built and then say, ah, I don't need that, or this could be simplified. So sometimes that prototyping happens off YouTube. Sometimes it happens on YouTube, because I, I, I like the idea of people seeing what the first go at it. And... Um, and it, you know, it, it, for the flow through worm composter, for example, I redesigned the whole thing. So it was like three videos or two videos to get to um, that redesign point and then three more um, to sort of optimize that. Some people don't like being sort of dr drug along for that. <laughs> so and someone say, you took five videos to get to this point. Take them down. You're like, well, no, it's about the process. Uh, you can't please everyone. Uh, people, I think it does generate a lot of good ideas seeing what other people are doing and how, you know, it'll save other people the uh, process because they may have seen your final one and be like, well, why don't, why doesn't he do this or that? And it's something that you've covered in a previous video. So it's good just to learn from what other people are doing and see what they're doing and how they're doing it. And then you can generate ideas on how to change it and modify, modify it for yourself and, and your application. How would you de generally describe the type of videos you make? That's an interesting question. I, 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 I like to think they're well-designed ideas, um, maybe a little bit innovative uh, over I mean, my, my top video on YouTube is a concrete rocket stove. That's not a new idea. I, I've, you know, watched the $6 rocket stove, concrete rocket stove video and, and thought, well, I, there's a, a good way to simplify that. Um, hit, you know, the he had a, the riser coming down and then out through the side of the bucket with a base. You know, so there you had to destroy the bucket to to take the stove out. But um, I've basically flipped that over and made the firebox out of the the bottom of the bucket or the open top of the bucket. So you just slide the thing out and then you just set that up on some bricks to make your uh, platform for fuel, elevating the fuel, and then you don't have to, you can do as many as you want with that bucket. Yeah. And so rather than have it, and it also made the riser taller, a little bit taller versus having a, a tube four inches up in your bucket. So you lose that vertical um, heat rising opportunity. So, I mean, I, I think 
you know, I like to uh, say my approach is intuitive, <laughs> but I, tr- I do try and, and think about simplicity as well. And I've had people say, you know, you need to make that simpler. And, and I try. I'll, I'll try and do one that has, in terms of materials or tools, is more accessible to more people. And I did a paint can rocket stove using soup cans as the, the riser inside the paint can filled the gap with perlite as insulation and then just set it on some um, simple cheap brick pavers to make the firebox. So, and I had someone say simpler, make it simpler. So I think, you know, the way I look at the kind of content I'm creating is I want to try and make my backyard into kind of a system of, uh, you know, sustainability. So composting, gardening, um, and I see a rocket stove as being part of that because I can cook on it. Uh, but I also have one that I use to make biochar uh, that I use in my garden for so- increasing soil fertility. Yeah. But um, so those three things kind of working together, rocket stove, composting garden. Uh, and then, you know, using the beauty of a rocket stove is you're using found fuel. So sticks and twigs. I got two big oak trees in my yard. They... They deliver a uh, abundant supply of free fuel. Every storm, I have more. <laughs> which you know, in summer in Georgia, it's gonna we're gonna get thunderstorms. Uh, so I, I I have enough sticks and twigs I can gather to you know make a meal. And then the, that that uh, ash wood ash goes into either the compost bin or into the garden bed. Uh, so it's kind of a, a cycle. Good little system you're building out now. Yeah. yeah, I think so. And it's fun. I like burning stuff. Who doesn't? Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> what, sort of, what sort of background do you have with building things, with hands-on building? Well, my, um, my dad is an engineer. Uh, he was in the um, military in the Corps of Engineers, a civil engineer by trade, but he had a shopsmith. So he had a um, shopsmith Mark IV, which is a, a, a woodworking table saw slash you tilt the thing up, make it into a drill press. And then you can you use yeah. it as a lathe as well. And so he kind of taught me um, or allowed me to use that as a teenager, just to experiment. I had a, a shop class my freshman year in high school that I just loved. Um, um, I, you know, made, made stuff there, but I, I was a boy scout, an Eagle, Eagle scout and got to, cook over fires and spend time in the woods and, and, uh, but I was also the, 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 um, the BMX track guy in my neighborhood. We made a BMX track in the woods behind our house and made a half pipe. And so I kind of had a, maybe I got my dad's construction, uh, gene, but always kind of was, was handy with tools and had tools because my dad, um, had a lot of hand tools as well. So I think just the the tree houses evolved into the BMX freestyle ramps and it evolved into um, kind of what I'm doing now. Yeah, I think that's fairly common with people that are handy. Uh, they just have always been building things. They just started at a young age and tinker a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think yeah. We tinker was the was a, that's probably a good way to describe. My yeah. early forays into um, building stuff. 
So uh, I I contacted you because I wanted to talk about rocket stoves, and that's one yeah. thing you do a lot of videos on. But before we get started talking about them, can you briefly describe what a rocket stove is and why people should be interested in making one? There's definitely the um, purest description of what a rocket stove is, where you've got a fuel magazine uh, that's vertical, um, at least in a J-type rocket stove. Then you have a, a fire tunnel that moves horizontally, and then you have a riser. The idea is that that um, the fire burns sideways through that, that fire tunnel, and that the convection, um, the air current going up the superheated riser is what draws that air in rapidly. And so you get, and then that, that riser serves as sort of a, an area of secondary combustion because smoke is just unburnt fuel. And so the, the more that you can heat that smoke up or have combustion happening, you, you, you basically burn all the fuel. So it's a very efficient use of fuel. The basic components of the rocket stove that I think serve the most benefit are elevating the fuel so you get airflow underneath it and, and then um, the combustion chamber. So you get airflow, convection, and sort of superheated combustion. So that, that, that allows you to um, consume, the, consume the fuel efficiently so you have a cleaner burn. And it works great with small sticks and twigs. That's a fast, a a fuel that can be consumed fast, lets the air move through it quickly. So you get, um, you get that clean burn, very little carbon left behind. It's mostly white ash. So the reason I think people need that is because there's a variety of, of ways to build it. And the fuel is very easy to come by. And it's also, I call it an attrition fuel the kind of sticks and twigs that a tree drops on its own. It's not something you have to cut down. It's not something that you have to harvest. You don't kill the tree. You use the tree's sort of waste product. And because it's usually you know younger branches, you think about it, these smaller sticks and twigs are not that old. Um, it's actually fuel that's, that's, or it's, um, carbon that is from our current atmosphere. So it's not, um, it's actually considered carbon neutral to burn that material because you're using, you're releasing carbon dioxide that was just pulled, was pulled from the current or recent atmosphere. So there's, you can even, so it's a sustainable fuel. Interesting. Yeah, I recognize the benefits of using smaller fuel uh, from sustainability and then just from the ease of use too. It's a lot easier to go around and gather up a handful of small, you know, finger-sized branches or twigs or whatnot than it is mm. to go cut up some large limbs. So, uh, yeah, the ease of use is a major benefit as well, too. Um, so it sounds like then the major benefits of the rocket stove are the the fact that you get an increased airflow and then a hotter burn, a burn chamber that's taller, and you get a hotter burn out of it? Yeah, I think, you know... Um, my favorite type of rocket stove, which the purists would say is not a rocket stove, is what would be called the L-type. So there's there's a J tube, there's K, which is like where you have a, a slanted fuel ramp going in to the, um, the firebox area, so it has an angle, and then um, an L-type. So 
the ill type I like the most because that's sort of um, you have a riser that sits on top of a small firebox and then I usually have a piece of grill grate that's in the middle of the you know divides the bottom of the firebox from the top and then so you're putting your fuel on that grill grate and then you have an air channel underneath you light it and then um, the convection starts the draft starts and it pulls pulls the fire in and up up the riser and then you can put a pot on the top of that riser and um, you know you get a nice direct heat coming right to the bottom of that pot so it's it's pretty when it's burning right you know the the flames kind of lick up I have a cast iron pot that I, I sit on my concrete rocket stove and the flames just kind of lick up the side of that thing it's like a, a blast furnace no smoke uh, very little smoke at all once it gets going yeah that's pretty cool I always enjoy seeing pictures of them too when you have the flames you know coming out the top whenever they look cool if nothing else <laughs> yes it's, it's it's fun to watch but you, you really need to utilize that heat I, I did a um i did a earthen um a cob rocket stove that i had embedded a copper coil in and yeah. and made a thermal siphon to heat water but i got so many complaints in that video all that heat you're wasting i'm like yes i didn't i didn't put a pot on the top i could have put a pot on top of that and probably heated the water faster but i wanted to see if i could actually get a thermal siphon to work yeah do it as a byproduct too of cooking at the same time if you were trying to do both absolutely yeah i noticed in a lot of your videos you don't necessarily have a big chamber coming out a big fire box is that something that helps to or i've noticed yours are kind of underneath your riser is there a pro or con to either way and I think, um, to me, the, the, the best rocket stove to build is the one that you can build. And yeah. I have done a, J, a J-tube rocket stove that uses the one, one fuel or the firebox to a two uh, fire channel, file to fire tunnel to a three riser. So that ratio of one, two, three for a J. I, and that one... I use to make biochar. I've got a an oven that sits around the riser, and it that you basically cook the uh, organic compounds out of the gas. You gasify the wood, and and it um, it basically ends up as as biochar charcoal, like lump charcoal. But so that particular one, uh, um, it was more complicated to make. You know, it's steel. Um, I had to weld it. Sits on a pretty heavy base of hunk of you know C channel, so it's definitely more complicated to build that, and it's a little. It takes a while to get that process to start. the The beauty of the the A the L tube or the L style rocket stoves is they're really easy to build. You just need a riser, you know, some kind of a of a a firebox underneath it, and then a way to elevate your fuel. And then something to let the pot sit off the top so you get the airflow can continue. So yeah, the so the ones I've made the most are the ones that are kind of the those most I think I would call would say they're the most accessible to make. And I've done that same concrete one out of out of cob as well. Same yeah. form, just made it out of mud. And here in Georgia we've got, you know, a very clay 
rich soil that has um, a lot of iron oxide in it, so it's red. Kind of makes for a pretty uh, cob. I use that as the clay component of my cob. It probably has some sand in it already, but uh, so. And then adding some straw to that uh, makes for a fun, uh, a good cob mixture. It sure is a pretty color too. Yeah, you're right about that. I was uh, semi jealous looking at your your videos and whatnot, building those ones. I'm like, oh man, that's such a pretty red color. Think of the pots that could be made with that. Yeah, I don't know. I, you know, I have not tried to fire it as a clay. You know, I don't know if it would reach that, have a ceramic strength to it. it I yeah. do have, um, I've made some adobe bricks out of it. And the, the plan is to make a six to eight foot tall rocket stove and to, to burn some stuff, go as big as I can. But at the same time, fire, I want to see if I can fire those bricks and then I'll use those in a greenhouse wall, a thermal wall in a greenhouse. So you, you just mentioned a six to eight foot tall one. Is there a optimal size for proper functioning of a rocket stove or do you just need to scale everything up? And if so, what are, what's like a good rough proportion for your various parts? What what I've always heard is the most important thing is sort of a continuous throughput. So if you're, um, I always forget the particular term, but you want the, the width of your, the dimensions of your firebox going in to be the same as the, um, the riser going up. So you want that same dimension, cross-sectional dimension all the way through. So my hope is that I can scale that as big as I want. I, you know, so my, my goal with this big one is to be able to use a, a two by two or even a two by four like it was a twig. And, and so um, I like the, the, you know, with the five gallon bucket using a, you know, four inch PVC as that inner diameter for um, for the um, the riser portion, and a lot of times I'll use a a milk a, a half gallon milk jug as the the firebox that square component of the firebox. Or you can just go riser all the way through your bucket and then build your firebox underneath out of bricks. Yeah. Proportion wise, then is there like a for a certain amount of height, you need a certain diameter of, of riser or firebox or something like that. Is there any like decent proportions that make it work better? That's where I think that, that there, are, that's where you would look on, on Google to find some good design drawings. And there's a, I, I think the, um, I don't have a particular answer for that just because, um, I've tried lots of different, uh, scales and they all, you know, as long as it's that continuous, uh, dimension all the way through it seems to work pretty well and what the reason okay. that they're called rocket stoves by the way is that when you get that airflow happening and it's the um your convection is pulling in really fast it, it makes a rocket sound it, you get that kind of like kind of that like that uh, like a rocket going up into the atmosphere has that kind of roar to it they will they will produce that roar so i think in my mind, that's what I'm looking for when I make a different type of rocket stove. Does it make the sound? And that tells me I have the rapid, that rapid airflow that's going to give me that clean burn and hot, hot burn. Yeah. When are you planning on doing your, your big one? Um, well, I've got, I probably have made about half the blocks I need. So um, with our summer travel, visiting family and um, 
my daughter graduated from high school this year, so we're trying to get in a little a little trip to the beach for her. That's what she wanted to do for graduation. So I did a video on making Adobe, and in that process, I made about half of what I need, I think, to make this massive. So my guess is sometime late August, I need to. Yeah. I still need, you know, you got to make the bricks and then and then let them sit for, you know, a week or two to to dehydrate enough that they're um, ready to be stacked. But yeah, I'm anxious to. I've been stacking some uh, firewood, if you will. Um, I don't know if you, I don't know if you saw any of my hoarder videos. Um, I sort of did a uh, behind the camera confession that you know yes i have all these edited videos out here on youtube but let me show you what's behind the camera <laughs> which was my my big old stash of stuff mm-hmm. and so did a um kind of wanted to tackle that and anyway so and going through all that material and classifying it and saving what's good i've been building a pile of of two by fours that are going to be my fuel so it'll be a therapeutic cleansing experience in addition to building this massive, um, uh-huh. yeah. And then I'll get, you know, get some wood ash and biochar probably for the, um, for the gardens as well from that process. And then hopefully these Adobe bricks will be, um, they won't disintegrate. We'll see how they do under this heat. Yeah. Curious to see that video. I think that'll be a fun one. I think it should have some viral potential. I mean, I, you know, Having, I think I have about 130 videos on the DIY channel. I think I have about 200 plus on the education channel. So I kind of know what people want. <laughs> yeah. Then they, the, the, you know, the, one of the things on YouTube that, that, um, is your start, you become rec- uh, recognized as an authority on a subject. Now that's in quotes because you, you may, you may be a hack. Um, which a term I would probably give myself, but I do what I think would work and, and, you know, educate research a little bit enough to, but probably, and then I learned a whole heck of a lot from the comments. People leave great ideas and suggestions and ideas for improvements. And I, that's part of, um, what I love about YouTube is that they, they call, uh, you, you're interacting with people that, that follow your content and, you know, there's the trolls out there, of course, but most most people are appreciative and encouraging, and have great questions, but also have amazing suggestions. Like I, when I was doing the concrete rocket stoves, um, I did my one with crack resistant concrete, which hasn't cracked. Then I I redid that and added. Um, I used about seven comments, seven ideas people gave me in the comments to make. Um, the concrete and perlite rocket stove. Um, and that is my top video right now. And I think part of it's because I engage people in, in making it better. Part of it is because it's a rocket stove video. So anyway, yeah, authority. When you make a certain amount of type of videos that, that people engage with quickly and they get good views and get con- continue, get good watch time, you you are sort of YouTube sort of recognizes you as authority on that subject. Yeah. So when you post a video about that, they're going to rank that higher out of the box. And so for me, that's rocket stoves. For me, it's um, in, in the hybrid sense of the word. In the um, because I've tried lots of different things to to do it to you know ways of making one. So 
Um, those videos do really well. But I don't want my channel just to be a rocket stove channel. I think some people want that. Because when I make a video about something else, like Aircrete, which I'm practicing and learning right now, but that, that those videos get unsubscribes. Um, but that's okay. I think, you know, people come, most of my subscriptions come via that one, that one concrete perlite rockets to video. It gets probably 65 to 70% of my views. Oh, wow. And right now that's about 250,000 views a month. So you can see how many that particular video gets. So when people see my next video and it's not exactly that same type of video, they, they unsubscribe, which is fine. I think, you know, that's, I want, I want my channel to be more holistic. Like, yes, a rocket stove is an important part of my backyard laboratory, but it's connected to cooking food that I grow in the garden. And then, you know, the, the byproduct of that rocket stove is going into the um, compost bin or into my garden bed. So it's part of a system. And I think it's an important part of that system. Um, lets me harness this waste, waste product, um, these sticks and twigs that I can then use harness to make energy. Yeah. I think you do a really good job at, uh, incorporating the suggestions that you get from people too. I've noticed that in a number of your videos, you pop up with a, Oh, I'm doing a rebuild. Someone suggested I do this or that or whatnot. And you do a really good job of incorporating those and, and showing how those work or don't work or trying them out in your next video. And I'm sure people appreciate that too. I, I think so. I think, you know, YouTube values engagement, right? And But I think the way I look at it is not just, I got to get more engagement in my videos. The way I, th- not everybody that watches YouTube um, can make a video, right? Not everybody's going to go yeah. film. And I think it's definitely ac- accessible to everybody, but not everybody's going to take the time to it's do. It's a lot of work. To do a video and then edit it. And then, um, but that doesn't mean they can't contribute. You know, that means they their ideas may be 100% unique and innovative and valuable for um, for me, but anybody that wants to make this kind of uh, product or any, anything. You can say that about anything on YouTube. So I like I like bringing, helping them bring their ideas into, into you know, to life in my yeah. videos. I just think, and then, you know, look, I, I also understand I don't have all the ideas. I don't have all the answers. Nobody does. Some people think they do, but, but <laughs> so I think the more, you know, the more brains you can get involved solving these problems, it's it just makes for more interesting stories, I think. So, uh, another, one of the reasons I was interested in chatting with you is because you have done a wide variety of these. Uh, I mentioned to you in the email that we had going back and forth that a lot of the stuff I see put out about them, it's people's first and only build and you learn a lot from doing things more than once. So I kind of wanted to pick your brain and hear about some of your favorite materials and favorite sizes or designs or uh, the way you build them, things like that. Uh, pros and cons of different, different things you've tried and what you've tried that works best. For just, let's assume that someone is looking for a, you know, like a small backyard cooking rocket stove yeah if i would recommend one it would yes. be the fire fire brick rocket stove because 
and for several reasons, that Firebrick was designed <laughs> to handle heat. You know, it was designed to be inside a furnace, and so it's the perfect material to use around a rocket stove. And it's also very easy when you just stack them. Like you can get a tube of uh, like fireplace mortar to kind of seal them together. Also designed for that, you know, to to seal the bricks on the back of a fireplace. You know, so it's also automatically, it's already cured. Like one of the challenges with a concrete rocket stove is you got to wait 28 days until that concrete is fully cured. And, um, and even then concrete is not designed to handle high temperatures. You know, it can, um, but so the fire brick is really, um, a great and ideal material. In fact, I, a video I did recently was I, disassembled one of the burners inside my grill and put a small rocket stove inside the grill. So I can, <laughs> it's sort of stealth in that I can close the lid and it's hidden, but I can be grilling chicken or hamburger and then sauteing some uh, onions on the rocket stove next to it. Of course, I end up smelling smoky. That's the one downside. Um, yeah. you, can't, you can't get around that. Um, but so fire brick is a great, a great material to do that. And, um, very, it's, a, it, now the one downside is it's not cheap. You know, a fire brick is probably $2, $2.25 or, you know, maybe even three to $4 a brick. And I'd use 13, I think 13 or 17 in that, the, the rocket stove that I have. The big, the bigger fire brick rocket stove, the one inside my grill I made with seven bricks and um so that the the concrete rocket stove the five gallon bucket uh concrete rocket stove is probably the most accessible um for anybody to make it's not very complicated and then you can make that out of mud too so using i mean i i, I call it mud but it was cob so um georgia clay which is the native soil here plus sand plus straw um, and that, that makes a pretty nice rocket stove. Now, I actually left that one outside for two years and, um, it's washed away. It, it will wash away. And I think there's a yeah. way to seal them with linseed oil, um, other ways to do that. But if I had kept it covered, it would have lasted just fine. I think Cobb is one thing that a fair number of the, or a fair, yeah, a fair number of the people in the audience are probably going to be familiar with, um, from the interaction and whatnot I've had with folks, it's that's something that interests a lot of people that are listening to the podcast. So I think most people have at least the familiarity with with Cobb and and what it is and how to use it. So it probably how to has protect all, all, it. Yeah, it, it probably has all the benefits. Really, think about it. Only positives. It's it's readily available. You know, you, a lot of native soils have enough, enough clay that they can be used to make Cobb. Um, not in Utah. <laughs> <laughs> not in not in Illinois. You know, Illinois. Yeah. Um, but uh, you can get clay pretty easily if you need to. Sand, I think, is probably ready readily available everywhere. Um, and of course, you can use you know different types of straw. I just use some. There's a weed. You know, a weed that grows here. It's an invasive that that is you know pretty. It's got a pretty tough stem in it, and so I just use that. Um, yeah. as the the binder it's amazing how how well cob starts to lock up when, when even when you're you're kind of stepping on it once you get that 
that that binder mixed in together it's like wow this stuff is strong yeah have you have you noticed a difference uh for things like your cob one and whatnot you have a round burn chamber and for your your fire brick one it's going to be square or rectangle is that make a difference at all when when your rock still was burning i really you know um Probably no. I mean, really, really. I mean, I, you know, if you, there's a great YouTube channel called Little Aussie Rockets. He's obviously an Australian. Um, he's a, a metal fabricator by trade and he makes these amazing, beautiful rocket stoves. And he's got one that's called a vortexing rocket stove that if you can, you know, you get the air flowing through there and then around uh, in a circular pipe coming up, it'll spin. Um, it'll rotate, it'll vortex. Huh. So, and I think that the thought is that that, you know, increases the airflow, it burn, burns better. But I, I think it, as long as your riser is long enough and it's hot enough, you're going to get good combustion regardless of how the air is flowing. Is that one of the key components then is getting a tall riser? I think it tall enough. Um, and again, I think it, it, it really, you know, some of my five gallon bucket ones probably aren't to the full, um, three ratio of the, you know, the, the J two being like one, two, three for firebox, fire tunnel riser. So that, that, and, and there would be some would say, you know, when a, a true rocket stuff, you shouldn't have fire coming out the top, only heat. Um, so on my concrete ones, the five gallon bucket one, you're going to get flames out the top. That's yeah. a short enough riser that it's going to happen. I like seeing the fire out the top. It, it's, it, but I think what they would say is you're, you're not getting full combustion inside, uh, the riser. Yeah. But again, that's, I think it comes down to, is your water boiling? Yes. And <laughs> are you cooking your eggs or you, you know, you, whatever you're, whatever you're doing, um, so I think, you know, the, and there's, there's no smoke, you know, is, is there no smoke, then your, your riser's probably tall enough. Really then it's, yeah, a matter of, uh, details. If you're, you're getting almost pure combustion, you may not be quite as efficient as you could be, but you're burning more efficiently than a campfire and you are heating your food. Yeah. It's hard to argue with that. If you look at, um, and there, there's a, I'm not sure where to find this video, but there's a guy on YouTube. He, he, he designed, um, a rocket stove, uh, to take to third world countries and it's in a barrel. Um, and he uses, you know, it, it, it inverts the, the combustion, um, back down to go out the back at a kind of midway at the back of the, and you, the pot is sits right in there and it's really, it's almost, um, there's not any air gap between the, the open top of the pot and the side of the, um, well, the, the top plate there of the, I'm not sure how to describe it, but so there's, that is a very, very tightly toleranced, uh, rocket stove design. And, and he's an engineer. Is an amazing? I mean, it looks like it, it's super efficient, but, um, so yeah, this, yeah, my, the, the ones I build are more functional than, than, um, I say accessible than say engineered, but the, I think yeah. some of the some of the principles still apply. Any um, like general advice for someone that's trying to build one? Let's just talk through building one 
from preparing a base because that's going to be something that a lot of people forget or ignore. So let's just talk through building one and anything that comes up as you were going, suggestions for people. Um, yeah. I just like to, um, there's something to be said for not having the fire directly on the ground. Um, okay. um, especially if you're in a tree root zone underneath a tree, you know, the fire could potentially get into the roots. And that's a, a rare possibility, but it is. And, and also I think an advantage, a benefit of having um, a floor to the um, firebox is that you're not losing heat to the ground. Yeah. Um, an insulated floor because the, you know, the, the earth is a big old heat battery and it will, it will, steal some of that heat from the burn. Um, not enough to make a huge difference, but it's, it is, it is something to be said. And I think, you know, level is good. You don't want those things. <laughs> um, I've been, one of the things I've been thinking about as I'm planning this big old eight foot tall rocket stove is I gotta make sure that thing is level. Yeah. Um, so more important when you're building something eight feet tall, or there's two feet tall. Although, you know, one of the things, one, one comment I've gotten a lot on the rocket stoves is, you know, would be nice if you had it elevated. And I did actually make a, a an elevated sand table um, for, I call it rocket stove row. Got about six of them sitting up on there. Um, so I think, think about accessibility. Like, how are you going to get to it? How are you going to feed the fuel? Um, you know, you, and then also not so tall that you can't see down into your pot. <laughs> you want to yeah. be able to see what, um, you know, what, what your water's doing and, um, and things like that. So if you build one out of concrete, you want to make sure your base is stable enough. It's, it's pretty heavy. I, I did finally weigh the conk, the straight up crack, crack resistant concrete one, which was an, a full 80 pound bag of concrete. And it raised, it weighs about, 72 pounds oh wow and then then the perlite one which is the exact same dimensions the same form that weighs about 20 pounds less so adding perlite if you're not familiar with perlite but it's a it's a um a mineral that is used it's the white particles you see in potting soil yeah it's actually in in potting soil to hold water but what it will do in a, um, a rocket stove is it will hold air so it becomes an insulating um, material. It will weaken the concrete, though. My concrete and perlite one did crack just because it, concrete will expand. Now yeah. I've got a metal band around it; it holds it together just fine. So the, to me, the insulating value is more more valuable than the than having it be uh, as sturdy as the the crack resistant one. How important is insulation in a in a rocket stove? So I've, I've heard to, you know, the purists might say you want to get as much heat going up as you can. You don't want your riser to be a heat sink. Yeah. And I did have a comment from someone that said, you know, that the amount of heat that your concrete is, is absorbing is not that much. And, the you know, once it's full of heat, it, it, it doesn't, it radiates heat. And then, so I think... Insulation can be like in a metal rocket stove, perhaps it could be a benefit from a safety standpoint. The outside of the stove is not so hot that it will 
But um, not that you want to go hugging your rocket stove. I don't recommend that. <laughs> the, so I do think that they're, you know, the, my J-tube rocket stove that is um, made out of steel, it's not insulated, at least on the firebox and the fire channel part. But then the, the bucket, I got a metal bucket sitting down over around the riser that I have mineral wool inside that chamber that becomes the oven to make the biochar yeah the i the plastic handle on that bucket i I left on because and it it if it touches the outside of that metal bucket will not melt that the different than that that um i've measured the temperature of the inside of that riser and it gets to about 900 degrees so it's not so that heat differential from that 900 degrees through the the wood biomass inside the oven to the the stops at that mineral wool uh, layer um, enough that it doesn't melt the plastic handle on the bucket lid or the bucket huh. handle. Okay, that's uh, good to know. In- insulation is uh, a best practice, but not necessarily necessary. I think you know one thing to I think it's worth experimenting. You know, I haven't tried sawdust in my cob yet to see if that works as a, I, I, I say that in, in a full, full on rocket stove build. I did, I did do one where I kind of covered up the front of a stove just to see how that material would work. And it, it made for pretty brittle cob to have yeah. sawdust in it. Um, so I don't know if that would be, uh, I don't know if I'd recommend that yet. I will say that, you know, I, one thing I've been playing with is aircrete, where you're familiar with that material. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and I'm just, I'm still learning. I've had two iterations, if you will, <laughs> not failures, but iterations. Um, I did the first batch without armature in it, and I was pouring slabs. I wanted to make, see if I could pour the slabs to make a K-type rocket stove. And they're only half inch thick, which is probably a little thin. Um, and, uh, the, uh, the second batch I did, I used a ratio that someone had recommended in the comments and it was almost powder. I mean, it, was, it did not set, it yeah. was set, but so even with the armature, it was like, I could just squeeze it and it just turned back into dust. So too, <laughs> too much foam. Um, and it may have been the quality of my foam too. It may not have been thick enough. However, what are you I'm, using to, uh, foam it up? I use just a palm olive. <laughs> okay. I've got a, um, I use a, I'm using it at 40 to one ratio. It's just a, you know, it's palm olive professional, which I don't, it's just a big jug. I don't think that it's any different than what you could use in your kitchen. Um, but, uh, and the, the foam generator I've got, I'm trying to simplify from what I've seen, um, people make. And so I'm still tweaking that to know if it's doing exactly what I want it to do. Huh. But again, that's some of the experimentation I've sort of put out there for everyone to, <laughs> to see. Um, and at some point I will um, take that thing apart and, and show people how I made it and then have plans to go with that. Give people ideas if nothing else. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, th- what I was what I was getting at is I, I did have um, one piece that did survive. The first build on that was something that was double thick. I made the floor twice as thick and um, I did a heat test with that piece 
and the and, and measured the t- on a top of another rocket stove had the fire hitting the bottom of it and then measured the heat differential between that that temperature or the top of that riser yeah and then the other side of that air crete and it's about a 200 degree uh, difference for one inch of air crete so oh wow they, that has um, the potential of being a, a pretty good insulator yeah so back to our uh, kind of walking through a build, um, a level base, fire off the ground. Um, I'm trying to remember where we accessibility. Like, how do you get accessibility? To yeah, you know, the other knees blowing on the fire. I think you know. Then um, you, you want to have a decent riser or, or a um, elevation for your pot. I've heard three quarters of an inch is pretty good for a four inch. Um, dimension riser that's worked well for me initially i had four inch interior diameter yes yeah so a four inch pipe making the riser um tube um i have about three quarters of an inch of rebar coming out of the top of that concrete to to sit my pot on and i think you know three is enough three pot ride pot standoffs because you think you know a three-legged stool is always going to be level you know, you don't have to worry about your pot rocking around. So if you had four legs, it'd have to be exactly the same height or you'd get kind of a rock. Yeah. So just, a, you know, a, a substantial enough um, and enough elevation off the the top of your riser so you, get, you don't slow down the airflow. Airflow is key all the way through that rocket stove to get the best, um, best burn, most heat coming out the top. Uh, how, do, how does like a four inch, uh, we were just talking four inch interior diameter, you use a pipe as a form when you're building around it. How does that work for cooking, uh, like standard cooking pot size? Does it handle larger pans if you're trying to cook stuff up? Yeah, or is that- I mean, I, I use, a, um, I, I got a, I think a four quart um, cast iron pot off Amazon. And it had a, so it's probably about, you know, 10 inches, I don't know maybe eight inches in diameter, eight or nine or 10 inches. And so a substantial size pot and that supplies plenty of heat to that. It, it, you know, it it hits the bottom kind of in that four inch circle and spreads and just wraps up the sides of that. Yeah. um, That pot. I'd say that's probably a pretty standard pot or pan size for most kitchens. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It was definitely right in that, that, that realm of, um, of that standard, what you'd see on the, on the stove in anybody's kitchen. I wouldn't use your good pots on your rocket stove just because um, it it will, even though it is burning fairly clean, it's going to de- probably deposit some soot. Yeah. So, but it'd be a great for a goodwill find, you know, but cast iron does great. And I'm sure you, a lot of people that listen to your content are familiar with cast iron. It just does a great job of, of holding the heat well and then spreading it out. I think yeah. that, that is an advantage with it's kind of like sticking a blowtorch on the bottom of your pot I, I don't really grill with a rocket stove I don't because the heat is so concentrated in one area that your steak would be charred in the middle and tender on <laughs> it's not a whereas water water is an amazing heat sink that really grabs that heat and uses it so cast iron does a great job with that yeah you had mentioned though that you built the little rocket stove inside your grill. Do you have that same issue inside there? 
Um, it has, um, I use like the, the pan. It, what's interesting to me is that people always ask, can you control the heat? So you control the heat with the amount of wood you have and how big the fire is, but you can also control the heat by the size of the rocket stove and the size of the riser. Inside the grill, my riser's probably only, um, you know, five and a half inches tall. It's not big. Yeah. So it does, I get a little bit of a roar. It's not like, you know, jamming like my normal rocket stove. But if I'm just sautéing vegetables, I don't, I mean, you know, so I don't have that water heat sink to grab all of that heat and kind of s- and spread it out. That works perfectly for um for that amount of heat, you know, olive oil and some vegetables in the bottom of that pan. Um, and I use a, like a cast iron skillet. So it's not a full size. It's probably a, a, it's probably a, uh, an eight inch skillet versus a 10 inch, um, you know, Dutch oven or something bigger like that. Yeah. Your, um, so we talked a bit about a couple of your rocket stoves being made from a, a five gallon bucket as a form. Uh, your fire brick one you said is your favorite one. Is that about the same height, same general size, or is it vary a little bit? I think the I think the riser height is about the same as the um, maybe a little bit shorter than the five gallon bucket. Of course, it depends on how many bricks I've got it sitting on. Um, yeah, the the, the uh, five gallon bucket that is. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, it's probably similar in size. I will say that I think that the that cross section, the continuous cross section through that fire brick one is a little bit bigger. It's more rectangular than square, so it's probably um, you know five and a half inches by by four, so a little bit oblong. Yeah. But what I use on the top of that for pot standoffs is a salvaged um, grate from the side burner on a grill. So um, one of the things I do in my community on a yearly basis when we have our Great American Cleanup, which is um, kind of a recycling event that's sponsored by America Beautiful, um, I run the scrap metal part of that and uh, paint recycling. But I do that well, to help the community, but I also get some sweet metal. <laughs> Side benefits. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I just, you know, I, yeah. I take it, I rent a U-Haul trailer and, and people just load their scrap metal onto that. And I drive it over to the recycler and get, you know, five cents a pound yeah. um, for, you know, even for uh, mixed you know, breakage, they would call it. But, but I, I grab the, you know, these pieces of metal that I think I can use for projects. Huh. So my, my burner, there's always a good four or five grills that come into that event just because designed obsolescence, right? Those grills are not made to last very long. Not the $125 grill you buy at the Home Depot. No, they get beat up pretty quickly. Yeah. So and part of the reason I, I put the rocket stove in my grill was that one of the one set of the Venturi burners, it just was basically rusted out so i yeah. was able to utilize my grill longer by <laughs> diversifying <laughs> uh, are there any other uh, guidelines as we've or suggestions as we've moved along the the building process that you would suggest to people or have we covered it fairly well i think you know there's joy in experimenting 
you know, I, th- I think the five gallon bucket is a great place to start because it's kind of a, there's a lot of good examples of what's been done. Yeah. Um, and, and there, you know, you can find you, everybody that's listening to your podcast probably has a five gallon bucket within probably 20 a whole feet bunch of them, them right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think. If not, look along the roadsides. You're sure to find one in a ditch somewhere. That, that's right. So you can be, you can help clean up while, while you're out there picking up that bucket, fill it up with trash. <laughs> bring, there you go. So one thing I would say, you know, one way to simplify that beyond what I've done, you know, is don't just use the bucket to make your riser and then make your firebox underneath that riser with bricks. Yeah. You can use, you could use fire bricks for that. Um, you could, uh, you know, and, it, and the beauty of that is, you know, I like, I like, you know, the buckets are tapered. So I like making the top of the bucket, the bottom of the stove, because then you have that your the taper widens as you go toward the ground, which a little is more, just stable. more stable. Yeah. yeah. Although that thing's so beefy and the taper is so small, it wouldn't really matter. I think it's more an aesthetic thing for me, <laughs> but, um, and that would just mean that you would potentially need to drill holes in the bottom of the bucket to put your pot standoffs through. Yeah. Um, but that's, I mean, you know, most, you know, everybody can sacrifice a bucket. I guess for, uh, we, we didn't really talk about use at all. Is there any suggestions for starting and using them if, you, if you're using them for cooking? How do they differ from things like normal stoves or campfires or something like that? The, thing, the, the, the one thing you need to think about with a rocket stove is you need to tend the fire. I mean, it is because it burns fast and because you're using sticks and twigs, you, you cannot, you can't leave it or it will go out. <laughs> I mean, you, yeah. I mean, you can leave it for a couple minutes, um, but it, it, the the idea is that you're it's a rapid burn. So, but I think there to me that the joy of it is that you're tending the fire. You know that it that there there's part of the fun of burning stuff and and using a rocket stove is that you get to be there and watch the fire. And so there's to me and the the cooking process is what it is too part of that that joy so yeah making fire making i like to boil eggs i like egg salad sandwiches as a regular staple so um my neighbor's chickens they um part of my composting is with soldier fly larvae um at least during the warmer months and so i will take my neighbor's maggots and they give me eggs talk about a deal yeah <laughs> works out well for both of you it does yeah. yeah so yeah i think um you know in terms of use you you want to have all of the fuel that you need ready before you light it otherwise because it burns quickly if you if you if you don't have enough fuel um you know you, you will sort of short circuit you don't your, have time to go scrounging around yeah it's harder so I like to have more than I think I'll need on a hand. But the beauty of it is you probably won't need as much as you think because of the amount you're utilizing the full fuel very efficiently. So you get the maximum amount of heat that you can get from that biomass. I uh, like the way you put that sentence. You like to have more than you think you'll need, but you'll need less than you think you need. 
That's <laughs> <laughs> so start out. Start out with I know kind of what you know what type of bundle of fuel I need to to boil my eggs now. Um, yeah. So I can kind of gauge that, uh, and but I think so. Starting out, you want to maybe have more on hand than um, than you think you might need, just so you don't run out. Yeah. Does do these uh, get up to temperature pretty quickly? I think so. I mean, really, I mean, you think about it, uh, a boosted burn like that is it is, I mean, you, you will build some coals, right? But they're not a lot of coals. There's some, but maybe not like a charcoal grill where you're cooking just with the coals. Yeah. You're cooking with the flame. You, that's, that's your heat. So I think, you know, they, they get up to heat pretty quickly. Um, faster though, if you have an insulated riser. You know, the, okay. you're you're not heating your riser. Um, you're not your riser's not absorbing heat first, and it will absorb some. Like my my metal J two rocket stove takes longer to heat up because I've got all that, you know, um, twelve gauge steel to heat up first. Yeah, I'm guessing though that, or not guessing that, intuitively makes sense to me though. Um, one of the benefits of using the rocket stove is where you're not building up coals and whatnot. It's uh, a lot easier to, I mean, with a normal campfire, you got to wait for everything to die down or you got to douse it with fire. If you're using a rocket stove, I'm guessing you don't have to wait nearly as long for things to die down before you can walk away and not have it be a, a fire hazard. Yeah, that's, I mean, um, I never recommend leaving a fire <laughs> for very long, burning un- unattended, but it's my Boy Scout oath there. But, um, the yes, they do burn out pretty fast, and it's contained. It's it's so it's the the beauty of you know your your air is only going in one side is that it's not as affected by the wind. You know, yeah. It doesn't blow embers around so much, and the fact that you're really consuming all of that fuel, you don't have a lot of embers. There are not a lot of embers coming out the top because it's all been burnt up. Hmm. Let's go ahead and uh, wrap this up. Well, before we do that, do you want to tell people, A, a little bit about where they can find, just remind people where they can find your YouTube channels and anywhere else you want to point them, and then B, uh, do you want to tell us about the Rocket King? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. So um, my YouTube channel is Green Shorts with a Z on the end instead of an S. Green Shorts DIY um, on YouTube. Um, I have a greenshortsdiy.com. I actually um, mainly have plans there for a few projects that I've got, I've created plans for. Um, and then greenshorts.com is where the education content is, although right now that site's being reconstructed, so it just points back to the, the YouTube channel. So greenshorts on YouTube, greenshortsdiy. And I actually have a, a, a channel about my house. I have a, a lead certified um, home. Um, and uh, so I'm doing a channel about what uh, what makes a green home green. Because uh, a lot of that stuff is sort of behind the scenes. It's behind the walls. And our house looks like it belongs in our community. It's a farmhouse. Yeah. Um, and metal roof. and but uh, So it doesn't look like a you know super, super modern green home. But it still has a lot of those principles that make it sustainable. Hmm. So that's the green shorts greenhouse. 
channel also on YouTube. I'm behind on that content. It's hard doing three channels. Um, That's really a lot only, of content you're making. I'm really only doing one channel. The others two just kind of limp along. Um, so, but yeah, part of part of what came out of my uh, foray into making rocket stoves was the Rocket King, which is a um, stainless steel flat pack camping stove, which uses rocket stove principles. Again, it's uses that airflow, but it's not that um, full fledged rocket stove. Just because I sacrificed some of those elements in order to make it um, disassemble and pack flat. So it's it's a stacking uh, square stove that kind of looks like a castle on the top. And you um, the full-size stove is for a 6-inch pot. And then I have what's called the Rocket King Micro, which is about a 70% scale. And that's the perfect size for like a camping cup. Or, okay. Um, like they make some that are deeper than that too. So a smaller, more the one one person stove versus a two person stove. How much does each one of those things weigh? Um, I just lowered the gauge on the micro, um, and so it's it's right at fourteen ounces with the okay. bag. the The Rocket King full size is an eighteen gauge stainless, and it it weighs about two and a quarter pounds. Okay, and I have I've I've been testing a titanium version um, at at the same size as the micro. Those are really expensive to make, um, but it weighs yeah, seven seven ounces. It's so light, it's amazing. As if you're really trying to appeal to backpacker folks, so that's that's a major issue for a lot of backpackers. Yeah. I like the idea of the yeah rocket the rocket king, but weight. If you're I'm, I'm dabble in backpacking mm -hmm. i'm not a serious backpacker i'm not one of these weight obsessed people who cut the handles off their toothbrush and things like that but um i do know a number of folks like that so they would splurge on the titanium version just for weight purposes yeah and i think what i'll you know i right now i sell those on amazon um at least the the full-size stove um and uh the micro i haven't marketed the titanium yet just because of the trying to figure out how that cost, where that price point is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the micro retails for 45 and the, the full size stove retails for 65 includes a canvas bag, um, made by, um, a lady in my community. So it's all local. The nice, they're, they're cut here in Georgia. Um, and it's American stainless steel as far as I know. Sweet. Yeah. Sounds like a good product. I'll go ahead and put links to that or those, I guess. Um, I'll find them on Amazon and put a link to it so people can find it if they want. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, as well as your YouTube channels um, so people can take a look at your content and whatnot. Do you have any social media stuff that goes along with those at all? I do. Um, I have a, there's Instagram for green shorts, green underscore shorts. And, um, and then there's a great, there's a Instagram for Rocket King Stove, as well. I don't, I'm not, I'm not really good with Instagram. Um, it, it's not difficult to do, but it's hard to, you know, keep all those channels fed. You know, <laughs> I have a love hate relationship with social media in general, so I completely <laughs> yes. understand. I uh, am not on there super frequently, but 
I know a lot of people are, so we will uh, put the link so they can find you. Yeah, the place to find me really is on my YouTube channel. That's I'm watching um, those comments. Uh, it's getting to the point where I can't interact with all of them, but I try to. I do yeah. have a Patreon um, uh, that allows people to help support the creation of my content. I, um, and I have a Discord for that group. That So I give them first attention there. It's not a big group of folks, but just people that appreciate what I'm doing. And, and a lot of them... You know, a lot of them are those great sources for ideas, too. So, yeah, yeah, that's been fun. Sounds well, awesome. Thank you so much for reaching out to me and giving me the chance to talk about this love of mine, Rocket Stoves. And I, I look forward to um, digging into your podcast and hearing what other folks have to talk about. So, um, yeah, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. That was uh probably the easiest quickest i've ever gone a guest on a podcast so <laughs> i'm glad that, that uh, I, you responded to me what within like half an hour or something like that it was pretty pretty quick well, i think it was funny I, I i host a podcast for a client of mine um it's an internal one um it's it's not a public podcast but they have people um you know it's a larger organization but and it's sort of a news a news thing but it's funny because I was at the, while I was typing an email to someone I need to interview for that podcast. Your interview, your email popped in, and that's why I was like, <laughs> "While I'm here, let me just." Res-. So it was funny because my first thought was, "How did Jerry know I was sending him this email?" You know, and then I realized oh, it's, not, it's not Jerry; it's somebody else. So anyway, oh, that, that's why I responded so fast because mm-hmm. I was right there, and it was right in the right mindset as well. Perfect. Glad I reached you at the right time. Okay, Tom, I, I really appreciate you coming on. It was it was fun. I enjoyed our conversation, and I'm I'm looking forward to watching more of your videos as they come out. That eight foot one is going to be a, a fun one to watch. It's going to be quite epic. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Folkcraft Revival Podcast. As always, the show notes and links from this episode can be found over at folkcraftrevival.com forward slash whatever the episode number is. I uh, should tell you right now in your, your podcast player what episode this is. I appreciate you tuning in. If you have any guest or topic suggestions, or any other feedback for that matter, I'd love to hear from you. Shoot me an email over at daniel at folkcraftrevival.com. If you want to help the podcast grow, the best way to do that is recommend and share it with others that have like interests. Second best, go give me a rating and review over in the Apple Podcast slash iTunes platform. Um, that's the biggest podcast platform and doing it over there will really help me rise in the, the search rankings and show up to a few more people when they're looking for stuff. So, uh, in fact, while you're at it, just mash the subscribe button while you're there. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Now let's, uh, get out there and make something. <laughs>